Thanks for listening to The River's Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. We've been doing a series for four weeks where we're touching on our, our four main values, intimacy, community, mercy, and multiplication, and it's our, it's our grow series. And so for those of you who have not dove into using our grow tool, it's just at theriver.info slash grow, and so I'm going to break that down a little more for you this morning in regard to the realm of community. So... When we dive into community, the first thing I want to say to you is that most people don't really have a concept for what community is in this culture. The only time you really use the word community is when you're going to church and you're wanting to get into a small group. But when you go out into your work and into your daily life, you don't, you don't really ever use the word community or understand it. And so it's one of those weird tension things when churches get together and we say, we got, we got to have community. Well, what does that mean? Well, community can happen in a small group. That's true. But there are some principles to this idea of community that I want to share with you today. They're up on the screen. We're going to go through them. And then hopefully you and I will understand in a better way how we can embrace those principles for our life and our lifestyles. One of the words that we do understand as opposed to community that helps us dive deeper into this stuff is family. We understand family. Some of you came out of wonderful families and you experienced community there. And some of you came out of terrible families and you experienced what you know community should not be there. And when we read the word of God, we understand that he adopts us and invites us into his family. And so when we touch on the word community, that's kind of the surface that we're beginning to dig into. So this morning, I'm going to dive into these elements and hopefully give some principles as to how you can be in community as related to God's kingdom. The first one. You guys ready? All right. Every single one of you said you were ready. (laughs) Unified purpose. Unified purpose is sharing in an intentional calling God has for a group of individuals. Sharing in an intentional calling God has for a group of individuals. You can find all of this on the website, theriver.info slash grow. Now to break this down a little bit for you, I will tell you this. My mother-in-law will not play Monopoly with me. And that's not my fault. That is the makers of Monopoly's fault. Because it is a game that you are supposed to rip your opponent to shreds. And so in my early marriage with Anna, her mother-in-law and I, both loving games, decided to sit down and play Monopoly. And at the end of the game, when I had all of the properties and all of the money and was still making her roll so that we could finish the game correctly... I learned that Monopoly was not something that would bring unified purpose to her and myself. It kind of does the opposite. So every time 
they come to our house to visit, I say, you want to play Monopoly? I think I'm funny. She, she doesn't even acknowledge that I was speaking. <laughs> However, this wonderful woman will go with me anytime I want to Irving's on the Kalamazoo Mall to get chocolate-covered bacon. And that, my friends, is your definition of unified purpose. Chocolate-covered bacon. If you haven't had it, you have not experienced the kingdom of God in its fullness. <laughs> That's all I have to say about unified purpose. Number two, grace-filled accountability. I was serious. That was all I had to say about unified purpose. Grace-filled accountability. Growing in an environment of grace and truth with people who are primarily encouragers. Growing in an environment of grace and truth and transparency with people who are primarily encouragers. The best way that I can explain this one to you is a parable that Jesus told that most people disagree with how I interpret it. But I still interpret it this way because I think it's, it's pretty awesome to think about. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, Jesus tells this story of a woman who lost a coin, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know, Angels rejoice when one sinner repents. But I got caught up on the fact that this woman is calling her neighbors to tell them she lost her lost, or she found her lost coin. If I were to call any of you tomorrow and you answer your phone, hello, hey, this is Rod Tucker. Hey, Rod, how you doing? I just wanted to tell you I found my cell phone. You would say, okay, I didn't know you lost your cell phone. I'm, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm sorry you lost it or I'm happy you found it. I'm not sure and I don't understand why you called. But if there was something that was important to me that I had misplaced to say my child, I might, I might call all my friends and neighbors and I might say, you guys got to pray. We lost Xander. And you guys would start to feel that pain with me and you would start to pray. And some of you might even come over to my house and help look. And then when we found him, I would call you and I would say, rejoice with me. We found my son. We found my kid. And then there would be rejoicing. Grace-filled accountability. You want people to love you and enjoy you and celebrate you and celebrate with you and be your friends, but you won't share your junk. I like that. Hmm. If you can't be open, if you can't open up and share with people, then you won't experience community and there won't be anything to celebrate. If you cannot learn to live transparently, then there won't be anything to celebrate 
when you do have a victory. You guys following me? And there will be no community. 1 John 1, 7 says, if you walk in the light, if you shine a light on your life and you stop hiding in the shadows and you walk in it, then you will develop intimacy with others. And then you'll begin to realize that the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin. But you have to live transparently and form grace-filled accountability. You can sign up for a small group. And I can put you in a small group. That's part of my job here. But if you're not willing to open up your heart and share your junk, then there will be no community and there will be nothing to celebrate because no one will know anything is lost. Number three, inclusive and diverse relationships. I love this verse. John is having a vision of heaven in Revelation 7, 9. And here's what he writes. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Every nation and tribe and people and language, too great to count, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven, my friends, is going to be vastly more diverse than you and I could ever imagine. C.S. Lewis talks about this idea in The Great Divorce that when he gets to heaven, the grass is actually more real than him and it pokes through his feet and it takes a while for him to understand his realness and be able to live in this environment. And it's a good analogy because I wonder sometimes if heaven will be so diverse, it's scary. And we might have to get used to it. A crowd so vast that I could not even count from every tribe, every tongue, and every single language, all standing before the throne and worshiping the Lamb. And we have the opportunity to give people a glimpse of this today. Not by building acquaintanceships or saying hi, but by building intimate relationships with people who look different than us. You guys caught that I said look, right? People who look different than us. Life bringers. Becoming primarily a giver in relationships. This is my um, long way of saying don't talk too much. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature or DNA of a servant, being made in human likeness. Sometimes in relationships we look to them for what we can get. And we, if we take on the nature of Christ need to be looking to our relationships for what we can give. Now, that was kind of a pithy statement, so let me break it down for you. 
When you stop looking to people for what you can get from them, guess what? You stop idolizing them. You stop holding them up here with you down here. You stop idolizing them and you stop needing from them and then you understand that you're on the same level as other people and you start to become a giver. And when you start to give to others abundantly, instead of taking all the time, others see Christ in you. And when others see Christ in you, you're taking on his nature. You're taking on his DNA. Conflict resolution. I'm giving you guys a lot of information, so I hope you're taking notes. And if you're not, I hope you have a brilliant memory. Conflict resolution to become a peacemaker in relationships. We desire to embrace the truth of Matthew 5 and 9 that calls us to be peacemakers in order that we represent ourselves as true children of God on this earth. Becoming a peacemaker involves growth and the ability to overlook offense and radically extend forgiveness to others as God did for us. Sometimes in North America, we love the idea of conflict and the people that are good at conflict are elevated. But the peacemakers are the ones who inherit what God has for them. The peacemakers are the ones who bring relationship to another level. And we have a desire to be peacemakers. I have a friend who was sexually abused by her brother for 12 years of her life. And she didn't even know it was wrong. And by the time she found out it was wrong, we started to work together and talk about what forgiveness might mean. And her brother never acknowledged that what he did was wrong until one day she made a phone call. And he picked up the phone and she said, Hi, this is Gloria. What you did really hurt me. And it was wrong. But I want you to know that I 100% unconditionally without any second thought forgive you and will never hold this against you ever again because Jesus forgave me. And he said, I'm sorry. The kingdom of heaven is full of peacemakers. Now, when you jump onto the river.info slash grow, which is there on the bottom of the screen, and you take this self-assessment to see where you're at, you're going to score seed, root, or tree in any of these areas. And all that means is that in grace-filled accountability, either God has just introduced this to you and it's new and he's dropping that word onto you and it's, and it's beginning to go deep and as it goes deep and as you begin to bra- embrace it with your lifestyle, you're going to start to establish roots and understand what it truly means and begin to practice it with your life and then eventually you will see that grow out of the ground because you've wrapped your lifestyle around it and other people will begin coming to you to eat the fruit off of you, the tree, because you know what it means to have grace-filled accountability. So it doesn't matter where you're at. 
What matters is that the seed being the word of God that is sown out lands on good soil. And that good soil is something that wraps itself around it. You are the soil in the analogy. And, and you wrap yourself around it by saying, I'm going to embrace this with my lifestyle. I'm not just going to say it's a good idea to hear today and then go home and let the birds of the air snatch it away. And come back next Sunday and hear another good idea and let the birds of the air snatch it away. Again, I'm going to wrap my practice around it. And then it's going to establish roots and I'm going to start to grow fruit. And so this tool is important because we've said it time and time and time and time again. It's important to know yourself in order to know where you want to go. So just be honest with yourself. And I like to use this little verse in James because nobody really ever uses it. James 2.18, but someone will say to you, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And I think the reason we don't like to use that verse is because we don't want to talk about works in church. We want to talk about grace because we don't want to send the message that you have to work your way to heaven. But listen very closely. Here's what James is saying. I will show you my faith by my lifestyle. I will show you my faith that has been planted into my heart as a seed by my lifestyle as I bear fruit. So I want to cast some vision for you this morning of what it would look like if we were all a bunch of trees in community. I want to cast that vision with one verse and one story. And the verse is in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. You might want to circle this one if you believe in writing in your Bible. Big controversial. Denominations have just split over this. And then the color of pen you use. I mean, it just goes on and on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. I'm going very deep now. So hang on, I'm going very deep, and it's something you're supposed to think about for a month or so. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Speaking of being one body, we must embrace both of these with each other. Jesus enters into our suffering so that we can enter into his celebration. You hearing me? Jesus enters into our suffering. He takes it. He dies so that we can enter into his celebration. He goes out into the streets and the gutters, puts us on his back, and carries us back to the table to eat with him. Christ suffers with us so that we can, he can celebrate with us, and we're called to do the same. Here's what I want you to think about. There's this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. What joy? 
What joy? What possible joy could come from enduring the cross? Community. With you and with me. Jesus enters into our suffering so that we can have community and we're called to do the same. Now, here's my story. Community is close to my heart. If you can't tell. When I get passionate and I stop smiling, there's your hint. <laughs> community is close to my heart because I grew up in church. I accepted Jesus into my heart through a prayer when I was four with my mom in our car outside of our trailer house in Fairfield, Idaho, on the way home from the grocery store. And I also grew up in Alcoholics Anonymous with my parents, 34 years recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. And as a kid, I did not, I, I, I experienced very little community in church. I did not experience unified purpose. I experienced people coming into a room, sitting in pews, listening to a man talking and then leaving and then sometimes critiquing him and what he said and judging if they liked him or not. I did not experience grace-filled accountability in church. I experienced posing and faking and hiding and pretending to be perfect when I knew I wasn't. I did not experience inclusive and diverse relationship. I experienced exclusiveness and uniformity. We all look the same, and if you didn't look the same, you didn't belong. I've heard quotes like, those people can't come because they will dirty up our church. And that bothers me a lot. I did not experience much of the idea of life bringers, I experienced an attitude that church was for me and that my job was to critique the preacher every Sunday. I did not experience much conflict resolution. I experienced backbiting, arguing, complaining, and gossip. And I've seen preachers run out of churches because of that nasty little word, gossip. But... In Alcoholics Anonymous, as a little kid, sitting in a chair, my feet dangling because I was, they were, I was too short to touch the floor. I experienced the unified purpose to fight together against that which was trying to destroy our lives. I watched a vanguard form, battle lines be drawn and people hold each other up. In that circle of chairs, I experienced honesty and transparency that brought deep fellowship and encouragement and grace. I experienced a place where everyone was welcome no matter what they had just come out of or where they were currently at in life. I experienced listening to one another and crying together, suffering with each other and celebrating small victories, sometimes very small victories. And I experienced people extending peace to one another and striving to encourage more than to oppose or to challenge or to correct. In that circle of chairs, 
I experienced community. And that's my story. And I want you guys to know that at the river, this is when I smile. I want you to know that at the river, you are far more like AA than any of the churches that I ever grew up in, especially the ones as a small child. So thank you for that. And my sermon is over, but I want you to take this challenge for community into your life. I want you to embrace these words. It's important to me that you think about them and embrace them. Today, tomorrow, this week, with your life, go suffer with someone. And celebrate with someone else. Go find someone and sit with them in their pain. Seek them out if you have to. And go find someone and jump around with them in their joy. And let Christ that has been hidden in you, the Christ that's been hidden in you, come out. And let him show you community in ways that you could have never imagined. But in order for us to understand this idea of community, we have to understand that if one part suffers, every part must suffer with it. And so Jesus dies, he's dropped from heaven, he dies and he rises so that we can die to ourselves, suffer with another, pick up their cross with them, walk with them and then celebrate with them as their life becomes lighter. That's the challenge, go suffer with someone and go celebrate with someone else. And make that your liturgy. Make that your devotional time. Make that your prayer life. Make that part of your pattern. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.